time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Folks, I'm excited to have back on the microphone with us, Russ Anderson, and joining me is my co-host, Mark Hale. Mark, thankful that you're here. Thank you for joining in. Glad to be here, David. We've got a good guest here, Mark. He's a part of our team, and we're thrilled to have him be there as a team member on the TMS team. And I'm, and his name is Russ Anderson. We met him through Jack Nunnery some years ago and or some months ago, I guess. It's over a year ago, I think we met, Russ. And But you're well known in the banking circles because of your background and some of the things you've done. Now, we've covered some of that in the past. But you started saying that you touch what no one else wants to do. Talk about that a little bit. And first of all, welcome to the podcast again. Good to have you back. Thank you. Yeah, I've been in the banking business for 30 years, but 15 years ago, I started focusing specifically on the mortgage banking world from the treasury management perspective. And when I got into the business, I think I, I used to go to the secondaries and the nationals and tell everybody, I believe I am the only treasury management person at this conference. And that lasted for years, probably a decade. And so I focused specifically on the needs of the independent mortgage bank and what they need out of their banking relationship beyond the warehouse lines and beyond the MSR financing, but what else the bank could do for them to smooth their business. Most of what I do is on the margin and isn't a big mover and, and consequently it's ignored by a lot of these guys. So yeah. we, we try to focus a little on that. Okay, good. So I think let's define treasury management. When somebody says treasury sounds like you have to have a whole pile of cash because that's a treasury and we're barely getting by. We have enough money to operate the business. So for those people that might not understand what treasury department is or a treasury management function is, explain that to the probably the, I would say the smaller, not less insignificant, but the smaller independent mortgage banker. What is a treasury? What is a treasury department? What does a treasury manager do in the most fundamental sense? Yeah, it's a fancy way of saying cash management. Really, it focuses on what the there's. I've always said it's really simple. For th there's three things you have to look at: how do you get your money in? How do you disperse it? And what kind of information do you need in the interim? And maybe a data fourth: what kind of return are you getting on all that? And so when you take a look at the, how you're bringing the money in, the most efficient, best way to do it, fastest, how are you getting, dispersing it? Sometimes you want it to be the quickest you can do it, sometimes not so much. And then the information is critical because some banks are capable of delivering mounds of information, some of them not so much. And it just depends on how important it is and how much it will help your business run more smoothly that you need. Mark, you and I both have owned mortgage companies in the past. Did you have a treasury manager in a management individual in your mortgage company? You're talking to him right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, good. That's a good endorsement. I had owned a mortgage company and I used for us. That's a good endorsement. There you go. 
bank that we use for warehousing got introduced to Russ and we did our banking with Russ and couldn't have been happier with what he did and he certainly took care of us in a great way and explained things we didn't know and was just a valuable resource for us and we started out small as Russ will remember but we grew to be pretty doggone big because we were dealing with genuine securities and whatnot. So it became a big deal and it expanded the relationship. And it really was nice to always have Russ as an ally because as we were talking to other areas at the bank, he would remind them, these are good customers and they do all their banking with us. We need to do everything we can to help them on anything that comes up. And they did. So would you say, Mark, that he was an internal to the warehouse bank advocate for you, the warehouse lender, or the warehouse borrower? And he worked directly at Russ. I think he worked with our controller and CFO all the time, if I remember correctly. That's you know? correct. Yeah. So that gets into a good point. This role, this function that you've done for years, and we're alone at conferences, only one doing it, it sounds like, for a while, or at least the only one that showed up at conferences. You work mostly with the CFO or the controller or whoever's managing the bank accounts at the mortgage company, correct? That's right. And today, banks all over the place advertising the fact that they have specialty products for the mortgage industry. And they really don't. They haven't really given it as much thought, I don't think, as they probably should. What they have is they have people assigned to the mortgage industry. And that's about it. It's still the same people that are doing industrial and commercial deals or real estate deals or energy deals or private banking deals. But they are that they took all their experience that they got from that and they assign them to the mortgage area and they go to the mortgage conferences now. And they're specialists by title, but I'm not sure how many of them actually have sat down and read the seller servicer requirements or know the state laws regarding escrows or any of the other things that come along with being a mortgage bank and what you need to know when it comes to managing those accounts. That's a good point. I think you're raising the point, like reading the agreements, you think that's the most fundamental thing. You have a tendency to get approved. You take that approval, put it in a drawer, and many mortgage bankers are more interested in originating the next loan than going in and reading what is their responsibility is in that relationship and how to handle the various accounts. Talk about when someone should get someone like you involved, Russ. There's a number of times I looked at for my clients at the time, I would look at their subservicing arrangements. I would try to align them with the right kind of subservicers. Plus, I would actually look at the subservicer agreement and see what kind of latitude that they have within those agreements for as far as the cash was concerned. I also reviewed it for claims and things like that too for them, but that was a side gig to just help them out. But when they're looking at changing their servicing or bringing their servicing in-house is an even bigger time to take a look at it. Because if you're going to bring your servicing in-house, that's a big task. And most of them underestimate it greatly. That, and if you're unsure about your bank, and if you're getting the right kind of deal with your bank, or you're considering just changing banks, I've seen a rash of people using RFPs for banking services. And I've read a lot of these RFPs and they're poorly done. They ask the wrong questions, they provide the wrong information, and it leaves banks in a bad position to answer well, and it leaves them in a position of not getting very good answers. So that those are all important areas. And I swear, I think somebody put on a seminar that told all these mortgage banker controllers and CFOs that they need to go out for RFP if they're considering changing their banking relationship, and they're all doing it now. And I never used to see that before, but the RFPs are bad. Bad in the sense that they're poorly written? 
Yeah, they're just asking the wrong questions because oh, again, okay. the yeah, advisors that yeah, the advisors that are telling them to do this aren't giving them the right information. Then maybe they gave them a template or something. I don't know what it is, but the template doesn't fit the mortgage industry. Mark, when did you recognize the need to have someone like Russ in your business? Was it as soon as you formed it? Was it somewhere along the journey? Give our listeners some insights. It was part of the opportunities that were offered to us by Texas Capital Bank, which okay. we started to do with them. And we started out thinking we were building a system to sell to people service loans and decided to be a service. We started getting our approvals. And we did that. We need to have credit lines, warehouse lines, and other things in a banking relationship. And that's when we reached out. And the value add of Russ was right out of the gate positive because what happened is Russ could tell you what you couldn't do, what you could do, and if you did it, how you should do it to do it most effectively, et cetera, and got everything. And we were like a fine-tuned machine. Russ, I don't remember us having any major glitches on everything. I remember everything running extremely smooth. That's the way you want it. You, you don't want to know what you don't want to know, and you just want it to run smooth. And Russ is one of those guys that makes sure he crosses these dots out eyes and makes sure that's happened. So we couldn't have been happier with the relationship. And we had the situation, when you look at the way Mortgage Bank operates and they do things because that's the way they've always done them a lot of times. And you come in there with a fresh set of eyes from the transactional perspective and say, why are you doing it that way? There's a better way to do it. And a lot of times people just don't know that. There was times in particular with Mark's company in particular where they were issuing a lot of cashier's checks where they really didn't need to. And we, we smoothed that out a little bit. There's still some counties out there that required us to send them to them, but we whittled that down to bare minimum and that reduced costs for them quite a bit. And, you know, setting up the accounts the proper way and making sure that we had the right titling, for example, a Ginny account has this very specific title you're supposed to be putting on it, as does now the Freddie accounts, which is a whole nother story. But a lot of banks just don't realize that because, again, they haven't read the seller servicer agreements. They don't know specifically how it's supposed to go. And we did. There are fractional CMOs, chief marketing officers. There's fractional CFOs, chief financial officers. Is there room for a fractional money manager, treasury manager? In a treasurer. The treasurer? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. There probably would be because a lot of these guys just, if a company's big enough to have an actual treasurer who's looking at both the warehouse relationship with their bank and their cash positions and the servicing, actually three things, then they're big enough to be able to do this. And I serve more, mostly as an advisor in an advisory role to those guys, but they really knew what they were doing. But a lot of these banks, CFOs, they think they're doing great. And then when you get in there and start digging through it and it could be better and you start showing them some different ways, then that usually for a bank, that'll win the relationship, but they don't have somebody sitting around just looking specifically at that stuff. And yeah, that's a possibility. We certainly have a lot of mortgage bankers listening to our podcast, but we do have some warehouse lenders out there. So where are you best seated in your role and what you're doing on the warehouse side or on the mortgage banker, independent mortgage banker side? Probably on the independent mortgage banker side, primarily because I know the industry, I know what everybody does. And I know how certain banks handle certain things. I know what banks have strengths, what banks have weaknesses in certain areas. All banks have strengths and weaknesses in areas. And I don't care who you are, there's a, no matter what bank you are, you, there is a weakness somewhere in your organization. And within the mortgage world, that becomes readily apparent when somebody comes running to you as, a, as another bank that says, I really need some help in this area and my bank can't do it. 
The big banks are somewhere you can always go where you'll feel safe, but you're not going to get the best service that you can get. And they're really not all that familiar with the mortgage world. But some of the banks that really specialize in this particular industry, are some of them are really good in some areas and not so good in others. And so that's where I could probably be of help to independent mortgage bankers. Yeah. Mark, I'll let you, I'm, I'm contemplating where to go with this. And I've got several ways. I'm designing this in my mind, mind's eye, in my head as I, we're going along here, thinking of the lister and where we want to go. But Mark, is there any questions that you have? Yeah. Your program that you had at Texas Capital when we did the work with you was a relatively new program from what I understand, but you had really expanded it and you were Johnny on the spot as soon as we had a relationship reaching out to us and whatnot. What do you think are the top couple of things that mortgage banks or mortgage companies don't focus on when it comes to their treasury management function and they should be for focusing on? Part of it is that the whole risk return reward when they're looking at their relationships with the bank. Most of them are easier, eager to go out and just jump at the best rate that they get from whatever bank gives it to them. And a lot of times that's not, well, most of the times, that's not the smart thing to do. And same thing with the RFP process. When they're going out there asking for bids for their services and they award it to the low cost provider, that's probably not going to be the best match either. That's a really good point. Yes. So when they just go out for the highest rate, have they looked at the bank's balance sheet? Do they know whether or not that bank's going to be able to return those deposits back to them when the time comes? Is, have they asked themselves the question, why are they above market when they get that rate? Uh, because that was one of the things that I would bring up a lot is XYZ Bank is offering you that rate. And do you have any idea why they're paying you way over Fed funds, which is a way that they, the way they fund their bank, why wouldn't they just go to the Fed window and borrow that money rather than pay you more for it? And it, the answer sometimes is because they can't go to the Fed window. You just have to ask those questions when you're doing that process. And a lot of times mortgage banks don't think about that. They think about, just give me the best rate, whether it's the lowest rate on my warehouse line or the highest rate on my deposits. And that's a bad way to do business. And a lot of times the, with the treasury professionals at these banks, they think they know it, but they really don't. The mortgage world, they know what they do, but they don't know the intricacies involved in where a mortgage bank can get in trouble. Just a little thing, for example, when you're processing the deposit, you go through a clearing account into the escrow or, or the P&I or T&I account, and there's a, Ginny has a window that it has to be done by. And oftentimes the banks have no idea that it, that money's got to be moved inside of 48 hours. And you can make sure that the consumer who is really worried about their mortgage payment is tracking their tag that they put on with the USPS to see when the bank actually received it. So when the lockbox receives their payment, they think, okay, the bank's been paid. Well, that may be when they picked up the mail, but they didn't process it for 24 hours. And then maybe they had a problem in processing it and it takes another 24 hours to resolve. Next thing you know, they're beyond the 48-hour window and in violation of Virginia rules. Okay. So it becomes an issue when the banks don't really know what the requirements are and it's up to the mortgage bank to hold them to the standard because you're never going to get the banks to have that kind of level of understanding. And we did because we specialized in it and we were small enough to where we had an entire team specialized on it. 
especially trained on it. We knew what we were uh, up against, but a lot of times some of these other banks just really don't have an idea. And some of them are so big, you couldn't change their process if you tried. Every time I've introduced you to the clients I have, how many have introduced you? Four or five of them? They all start out their statements saying, I think we've got this covered pretty well. And, but to a certain unhurt to have a conversation with Russ yet, how do you get, what's the compelling aha moment? Where can we go in this interview, Russ, for the compelling aha moment? They go, Oh no, I'm not sure we do that. You see what I'm trying to get to? I want yeah. to. I want to say, haven't you two heard, like, you've talked to different ones. Yeah, we, I think we got that. I think we're good. Great. It was nice to meet you, Russ. Good luck. Goodbye. Don't call us. We'll call you. And that's and I'm disappointed like that because I think that's a universal. Yeah, we've got this. We've got this. And a lot of people do not. Yeah, I think a lot of it is that they have it covered to the extent that they feel like they need to have it covered. And it, again, it's not a big profitability move on anybody's part, right up to the point where something goes wrong and it has a serious negative impact on what's going on. The failures of the banks are a clear example of that. When that happens and suddenly money's locked up and you're not delivering to the agencies or you're not able to receive consumer payments or any number of things that could happen in that situation, that's when it costs a lot of money if you did it wrong. It's almost like insurance that way. You don't really need it until you need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need life insurance until the person who is, was a supposedly good hell drops dead, or you don't right. have insurance until all of a sudden your house got on fire and you're done. Yeah, exactly right. What have you found to be the most successful way to discuss this service that you offer to whomever you're talking to? It's interesting you ask that, David, because honestly, when I talk to him about it, I get a lot of what you just said, which is, I think we've got this covered. And you don't want to press the issue too much with them because you're not going to question their professionalism or their abilities. But honestly, I think having a second new fresh set of eyes, take a look at how you've arranged these things is not a bad idea. Um, Take a look at the account titling, take a look at your account analysis statement to see if you know, you're getting a bad deal. And a lot of them have, I've seen mortgage banks that get analysis statements. It's just straight off the shelf pricing in the mortgage world. There's certain things that matter in pricing on the account analysis statement, which is just an invoice for bank services that you get when you're in an analyzed account at the bank. And they don't spend a lot of time really looking at those things because if it's not hitting the bank account with a debit, they don't care. But they would care if suddenly, instead of having a debit, they were getting a credit in there. And that can make a difference, on, again, on the margins. But the only time I ever used to hear from people was when that debit number was huge and they wanted to figure out what they could do to mitigate it. And I could show them lots of different strategies on how to do that. Russ, do you offer a free analysis of someone's bank accounts to determine if your services would if the lender would benefit from your services? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take a look at their account analysis statements from their banks. And 
most of our clients know that they have account analysis statements and some of them spend a little bit of time looking at them. Some of them spend a lot of time looking at them, but I'm happy to give a free look at them, take a look at the full account analysis statement from their bank and pour through it and give them an assessment on where I think they're at. I've seen account analysis for mortgage banks for 15 years. I think I've seen everybody's analysis and everybody's pricing. So I can tell you immediately whether or not you're getting a good or bad deal. I can do that and critique it and show them that there's ways to improve upon it, even within their current organization or your current bank that they're using, if need be. A lot of banks, they don't want to lose those deposits, especially now because those deposits have become critical and they're all clamoring for them. So if you can work a better deal with the bank that you're already happy with, then that's the best solution. Russ, when you do these free analysis, what's the outtake from those analysis? What we can do is take a look at it. And then what I'll be able to do is analyze what kind of pricing, what kind of return you're getting, what kind of services that they're providing, if they're appropriate services, if there's any services that are missing and be able to provide a quick report back on whether or not I think that you could improve upon the relationship with the bank. And in those areas where I think you can improve or get improved pricing, I'm happy to consult on that as well as additional services or different approaches to how you should be doing something within the, the banking industry to, to maximize your return and smooth your operation. What are the limits of a treasury manager as it relates to leveraging relationships? I'm thinking, I know you'll find ways in which you can help them make incrementally more money. Correct, Russ? Correct. But there's additional aspect to it too. Right now, banks are clamoring for deposits and that's part of the treasury management whole idea, but that's not the whole picture. You can use those deposits to leverage better credit rates, better terms, better advance rates, better. There's a whole litany of things you can do. You might be able to get a, a bigger carve out on a warehouse line. You might be able to get better MSR financing or maybe an increased amount carve out on a hospital line of credit. There's a number of things that you can do within your lending facilities because you have the deposit relationship with the bank. Banks are, are extremely interested in the holistic relationship, not just being a credit provider and not just being a depository. But if you put it all together and leverage the entire relationship with an institution, everybody's better off. So I understand you can make a difference in incremental income. What about leveraging deposits to the bank that is buying loans. Is it possible to leverage your, your treasury management leverage so that you get better rates, better execution? Is that a realistic expectation? It's very difficult. And here's why, because typically the correspondent, really correspondent part of a bank doesn't get all that involved in what the independent mortgage bank's doing on the other side of the fence with their warehouse and their deposit relationship. That is really transactional based, period. And so it's really hard to influence those guys. To the extent we could back when we did have a correspondent division, we tried to make that work, but it was really difficult for better execution to leverage the deposit relationship. You can do it more so on the warehouse side, but not so much on that side. Great answer to that. I've seen people trying to do it and they're meeting with 
little to no success out of it. That's interesting. All right. So Russ, how can people that are listening to this get a hold of you and get that free, valuable assessment that you're offering? You can always email me. I have to look up my address. I, can never right. remember. Is, I think it's right. Is, is it right? Yeah. Russ at TMS dash advisors. Is that how it is? Dot com. Yep. Yep. Okay. That is exactly. Or you can call me. Everybody knows my, my cell phone is the only place I ever answer the phone. That's 972-837-6270. Yeah. We'll put those in the show notes as well, listeners. So you can go look it up there. Mark, thank you so much for joining me in the interview. It's very valuable information. I agree with you that there's a, a real need for people to just get a hold of Russ. And so, Russ, thank you for taking time to be with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.